Welcome to the Universal Joint Podcast. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, Dustin Fuse, and I are recording this podcast on Sunday, October 18th, 2020. Um, let's just cut to the chase, Dustin. It's been kind of a mixed bag news-wise these past two weeks, at least when it comes to uh, the Universal Parks and Resorts, don't you think? Yeah, uh, there's good, there's bad, there's, you know, the the big news, there's small news. It's it's a very nice mixed bag, which will help for our show, because we'll be able to have a nice little roller coaster. Oh, that's a, ooh, what a transition. Okay. Uh, and speaking of, of roller coasters, on October 14th, uh, the Orlando Informer, uh, captured footage in the pre-dawn hours of the Jurassic World Velocicoaster, uh, Islands Adventures' next thorough ride, as one of the ride vehicles was seen being launched over that 50-foot or 155-foot-tall uh, hill for the very first time. So kudos to, to whoever got that image. Um, what what did you think? Was that shot from the parking garage or a hotel or did they, they did or was that shot staged? Um. I don't know. Um, it looked like it was from a decent uh, distance away. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I do have to share this because I, I've seen that that image, uh, the footage mm-hmm. shared not only on regular social media for theme park fans and enthusiasts and folks in the industry, but I've also seen it shared on LinkedIn mm. by folks who are working on the project. So the fact that it was it happened early, early in the morning and they had footage of it was very interesting for me how they got that footage and exactly what uh, hotel room they were staying in because that was incredible. Yeah, yeah. And and let's be honest here, you know, especially given the, you know, <laughs> 2020, uh, you know, that any bit of good news in re- regard to, you know, the theme park industry. So the fact that, you know, this this coaster is testing and the ride vehicle, you know, it, you know again, it's in the dark. Uh, mm-hmm. But it looks spectacular. I, I honestly would not be surprised if a team member reached out and said, hey, just coincidentally, if you're in a hotel room and happen to be looking out a window at 535, you know, just I'm just yep. saying that maybe. Um, on, on the other hand, <laughs> speaking of, of, you know, this this 155 foot tall section of track. Just today, Thrill Geek got an image of that very persistent Osprey uh, who, who keeps returning to the top of the Velocicoaster and, uh, because he or she thinks it's a great spot to build a nest. And, and, and honestly, I've talked with the folks at uh, Universal Orlando about this. They have tried everything to persuade this raptor to move along so they can bring in their other raptors. <laughs> uh, but the Osprey isn't going to take... It, it just won't take the hint. And I... I have this uneasy feeling that this story is going to end very, very badly, Dustin. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly. We all know what's going to happen. They're going to come and be like, hey, I just caught a fish. Mm -hmm. I have a great location to go and eat that fish. Mm -hmm. And then 24 seconds later, it's going to be like, well, there's the fish. Yeah, I just, yeah, I just... Have you ever seen uh, any of the footage or the imagery from when Fabio opened Apollo's chariot at Busch Gardens, Williamsburg, back in March of 99? Yes, and uh, just yes. 
Okay. <laughs> I know where you're going with well, this. Well, this is the thing, all right? You know, they bring Fabio down because, again, you know, the idea is this is, you know, in, in their Italy section and it's, you know, you know Apollo, a god. So they, they, they bring a godlike being, Fabio, you know, the, the model, male model known for his looks. Uh, to open the attraction. So they put him in the front seat of the coaster and they send it out. And so all of the media is standing there waiting for Fabio to come back into the station to get their shots. And what nobody knows is as the coaster's out on the track, because again, it's only been set up for a while and it's going out over over the, the river that circles through and around Busch Gardens, Williamsburg, a goose flies in front of the coaster <laughs> And hits Fabio smack in the face, you know. So, uh, so as the train pulls into the station, if I can go look at it this yourself now, here is Fabio with blood streaming down his face. He's got like a gash on his nose between his eyes, um, and oh. you know. And again, that then became the story. Not you know, Bush Gardens Williamsburg opens this new cutting edge coaster, but Fabio gets hit smack in the face with a goose. So uh, <laughs> that that does remind me of the uh, do you remember um, when Jimmy Fallon was doing live video from in Universal and he went with Kevin Hart oh, to ride yes. the Hollywood Rip Ride rocket yes. and halfway through mm-hmm. he got nailed in the eye mm-hmm. with a bug. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Not as as cool as a goose. No. But, no, you know, no, it's... still a, a wild roller coaster ride, that's for sure. Yeah. So, uh, but, but yeah, I, anyway, folks, I have the uneasy feeling that the Osprey Velocicoaster story is going to end in an explosion of feathers. And, <laughs> but, you know, but again, that's, you know, that's kind of 2020 in a nutshell, isn't it? You know, just an up and down thrill ride, and then you, you get hit in the face by a goose. So. Um, but anyway, so how about this, Dustin? Let's let's get to the news proper now. So uh, mm-hmm. before we get started, the I want to say that the news portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of Universal Joint. For a worry-free travel experience, please visit storybookdestinations.com. So we were just talking about Jurassic Park stuff, uh, and I think we had just recorded the last show when this news broke. Um, but kind of a sign of where the powers that be, at least in Hollywood, think, you know, where we are in the curve in regard to COVID vaccine or at least some sort of workable treatment plan for the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, what were your thoughts when Jurassic World Dominion got moved from June 11th, 2021, all the way out to June 10th, 2022. Oh, it, it doesn't shock me at all. Uh, we're in a, a process right now where you have actors and production and crew that are traveling to all ends of the world mm-hmm. that as soon as there is one single COVID positive test, the entire production goes, uh, goes silent for two weeks. And you don't know, you can't predict Mm -hmm. whether or not something will happen. You could institute a bubble, Mm -hmm. but there's also things like food and like other medical things that aren't within that bubble that require access. We saw it with the NHL and with the NBA. You can really only create your bubble when you're in one specific location. Jurassic World Dominion, they're traveling. They need different shots from different locations. So because of that uneasiness and the the ability to have, you know, something go wrong at any given point, I'm 
very impressed that they went through and said, instead of June 11, 2021, we're going to give us time for whatever could happen in 2020 going into 2021, just in case something does go wrong. They have that time to still do their PR machine and uh, and really play. Well, speaking of which, that I have to tell you, uh, having friends on the PR side at Universal, you know, especially Parks and Rewards, they were sorely disappointed that, you know, Jurassic World Dominion got pushed back because, of course, the uh, Jurassic World, you know, the Velocicoaster, you know, that they, they were going to, you know, try to have, uh, you know, try the try to tie the two projects together, try to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that there was even talk about, you know, if you've seen the movie at uh, City Walk and you come into the park, you know, they were going to, you know, and you show your, your ticket, they were going to, I think there was a poster giveaway or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, wow. But that's that's fallen by the way. Now, mind you, though, that, that they may default uh, in that case to Camp Cretaceous, which, by the way, I don't know if you heard the news coming out of New York Comic Con uh, just the last week, but, uh, you know, we're definitely getting season two. In fact, they showed the teaser trailer for season two, um, didn't get terribly specific about when that's going to drop on Netflix other than 2021. Um, mm-hmm. Though, again, poking at friends there, they suggested the latter part of the first quarter of next year, more likely the, the early part of Q2. So, mm-hmm. uh, so re- <laughs> in normal human being speak, that's either March or April, folks. So, um Anyway, and and speaking of streaming services, did you catch the cold opening of the first episode of Hulu's Animaniac reboot? I love Animaniacs. I love everything about this story. I love that they brought the original voices back. I love everything uh, to the extent that I, to this day, still sing Countries of the World anytime I'm listening or working on something (laughs) that I need to just focus on it it's country of the world and i'm learning my u.s presidents uh just from those original or uh, what was it early 90s episodes i'm like this is great yeah, yeah. well that that's i don't again if you, you haven't seen this particular piece of video folks head to youtube now because what they basically do is the it to relaunch the series the first 90 seconds or so of the very first episode of the the new uh animaniacs reboot uh is this wonderful wonderfully funny and very affectionate send-up of one of the more memorable scenes of the original jurassic park and to say any more would spoil it so just just go go (laughs) take a look at it enjoy um all right, so in an alternate timeline sometime this past summer I would have traveled out to the West Coast uh, not only to experience the uh, the recently re-themed, retooled uh, Jurassic Park River Ride, now Jurassic World River Ride, at Universal Studios Hollywood, uh, as well as is you know tried on for size uh, Secret Life of Pets off the leash, which remember w- was supposed to open May twenty or excuse me March twenty seventh of this year. Uh, and you know, March. What what happened in March? Yeah. I, I can't remember yeah. what happened in March. Well, Governor Newsom remembers very clearly what happened in March. In fact, uh, he's especially paying attention to what's going around uh, the country right now. And, and California is actually 
manage to, to sort of keep coronavirus at bay, you know, especially, uh, which is impressive, you know, given the size of the states and more to the point, given the number of states around the U.S. Uh, that are, you know, experiencing spikes. And in fact, didn't Canada just close the border again? Canada never reopened the border. Okay. So we, we've we had uh, different segments of the country, mm-hmm. just like in the States, where you'll have different areas go into either a phase two, mm-hmm. phase three. Uh, in Toronto, we uh, a week and a half ago got bumped back from phase three into phase a modified phase two, Oof. which took away all of the inside dining uh, experiences and closed gyms and closed... A lot of things. But the thing with coronavirus and COVID-19 is that it's not just one wave or two waves. We're talking about something that could continuously pop its head up uh, for years to come. Well, but the interesting thing is that, you know, yes, that those Southern California theme parks are closed. But Universal... You know, obviously, from the construction of you know the Velocicoaster, and likewise, mm-hmm. uh, all the work that's that's been going on for Super Nintendo Land. Uh, in fact, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen the um, the photos that, that were recently taken from somebody standing up on the hill looking down, um, but they've they've started to install those you know distinctly you know Mario Kart green mountains to hide the giant show building. Uh, Yeah, I I love that Universal tends to build things in clear mm -hmm. day, you know, just right there, like the Velocicoaster. Mm -hmm. We're not building a a roller coaster. No. Well, what's that in front of the lagoon? Mm -hmm. Like, it's right there. When you're going down the escalators Mm -hmm. at Universal Studios Hollywood, you can kind of tell that there's construction. In fact, when you go on the tram tour, you go right past the construction site. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's, you know, hidden. No. Kind no, of no. incredibly popular. But but, uh, but at the same time, what's especially interesting this week is, in fact, uh, you pointed this out as we were pre-gaming, Dustin, that, what was it, on the st- October 16th uh, at uh, Universal Studios Japan, uh, mm-hmm. We had the Mario Cafe and Shop open, uh, and, and for those of you who've been to the park, uh, this this sort of teaser store or teaser experience uh, for Super Nintendo Land is, is housed inside of the uh, Schwab's Pharmacy in the Dark Room, uh, mm-hmm. and and again, suppose it's supposedly this is a temporary setup that that and that in. Uh, 2021, when the land itself opens up, that Schwab's and and the dark room will return to its classic Hollywood theming. But um, have you seen any of the merch of the food items that are being offered? Absolutely. As a a fan of the the classic Mario and Luigi and all of those characters, I just fell in love with everything. Uh, Mm -hmm. But that's because I'm also a merch geek. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've tried to figure out if uh, Universal Studios Japan sends to Canada. Um, (laughs) But, you know, all I need is a a reason to go over there and, Mm -hmm. you know, open up borders and that kind of thing. And I'll be able to get one of those Mario and Luigi fruit pancake sandwiches. Yeah. Now, I, I <laughs> again, uh, okay. So, just to describe this, in fact, Alice, uh, my, my daughter Alice, has been my pipeline 
for uh, Super Nintendo Land. Whenever anything breaks out of Japan, she instant messages me. But these uh, Mario and Luigi fruit pancake sandwiches, they are pancake-shaped like hats that are then well, well, folded in half like a taco, right? Um, and and again, given, what is it? Mario's hat is red and Luigi's hat is, is, is green. Uh, what is it? The Mario uh, fruit pancake hat features strawberries and i want to say that the luigi's features uh melon yeah i was hoping it wasn't kale so melon is a good option good good yes you and i have the the same reaction to kale uh what did you think however of the toad souvenir sipper oh so you're asking about the toad souvenir sipper that makes sense so not the binders the water bottles the pulp point pen set face towel keychains pj sets t-shirts hoodies masking tape set uh phone case id pass case socks sparkly and unsparkly clothing jewelry uh mario and luigi caps and like 700 other items okay well i'm just gonna you know kind of leave and do a quick Google search. I'll be back, though. Well, I, I I get that. I truly do. But but I'm asking you specifically about the Toad Sipper. As I'm, I'm sure you've seen the, the the reaction online that, you know, I guess for years people have wondered, you know, because, again, Toad is the, the, the character with a, a toadstool hat. And it's like, what was under the toadstool hat? And now we finally have an answer. It's a flesh-colored oblong <laughs> drink container that's genuinely disturbing i you know just to you know that when alice sent me the, the pictures we both agreed that it's like wow okay i think universal has just found its newest monster yet they uh, may have gone a little bit far yeah but yep. um you have to try new things um i just want honestly they can keep the sipper they can keep all the the actual plastic I want the lanyards that go along with them. Okay, because I, I have to admit, I was looking at, because again, remember, this is, you know, you're kind of in that Star Wars Galaxy's Edge situation where you're looking at that first round of merch that's being put out for the bazaar for Batu, And I, I have to admit, you know, the whole notion of, first of all, the who's cap tagline. And then it's on, you know, I mean, again, you got to remember, we're, we're, we're months out from the actual open of the land, but... It's fairly standard stuff. I mean, travel mag, mugs, uh, toiletry bags, pins, hats, throw pillows, uh, t-shirts. But it gets just who's who's cap? I <laughs> is that something that that gamers will react to, or I, am I missing the point? No, it's the the Instagram and uh, you know social media and TikTokers and all that other stuff. Um, they're basically going to throw all the merchandise out um, at the the public to see what will stick. And uh, who knows if this is going to be a just an opening and then as soon as they figure out exactly what works, they'll just mass produce and then do different versions of that thing. Because we're seeing that right now with Disney and Loungefly bags. Originally, there were a couple of them. Now they realize that whatever sells... They're going to mass produce them and turn them into series and create the vinyl mation, create all these these different styles. It's interesting looking at the price point breakdowns from the the yen over to the U.S. dollar. It's actually fairly reasonable. You know, T-shirts are going from 35 to 40 bucks. Towels, pins like they have a pin set. 
uh, a Luigi Who's Cap pin set, which is it looks like four pins mm-hmm. for fifteen bucks. That's not That's bad. It. No, it's not bad at all. But again, folks, want to caution you if you you want to get this stuff, move quickly because again, temporary store. In fact, to tell you how temporary it is. The signage for this place, because again, the outside, if you look at it, it still says Schwab, still says Darkroom. Mm-hmm. The only way they designate it, you know, uh, it is a neat, temporary neon sign, uh, <laughs> which, again, as soon as uh, Super Nintendo Land opens in it, 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 Japan, uh, this all goes away. Now, it'll be interesting to see if they do something similar. Uh, at Universal Studios Hollywood, kind of put a pop-up store and you know help build enthusiasm. By the sure. way, as as of right now, my understanding is again, and I want to caution folks: this is all you know, kind of keying off of the the hope that there will in fact be a, a COVID vaccine or a, you know at least a viable treatment, um, you know, early next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're talking about a summer 2022 opening of Super Nintendo Land at Hollywood. Um, but, you know, again, and that's great news. But uh, but on the other hand, since July of this year, Dustin, uh, Universal Hollywood has cut roughly 2,200 jobs. Um, and supposedly over uh, 1,300 of those job cuts are permanent. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, roughly 900 folks have been told, you know, it's like we hope that, you know, uh, these layoffs will be temporary. And please note the u- the use of the word hope. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, Universal Lander Resort went through several rounds of staff reductions earlier this year. We've talked about it on the show. And, mm-hmm. and again, the hope at that time was, and again, there's that word again, um, they hoped they would be the last of the layoffs for a while, at least as far as the Universal Orlando Resort uh, was concerned. And unfortunately, October 8th, uh, Universal Orlando announced that there would be further layoffs of team members. Interesting thing, though, Dustin, they made a point of saying not hourly employees this time around. Okay. Uh, okay, here's the, the official statement. We continue to manage our business through challenging times, and we again have made the difficult decision to reduce our workforce as we position our business for the future. These positions are throughout our organization, but do not include our hourly workers. Uh, we continue to be aware of the impact that this will have on those affected by this action, and we are working to help support them through the process. Um, and, you know, my concern is we are at this point just two weeks out from Halloween. Mm-hmm. And once October 31st comes and goes, I mean, let's face it, that there's been a, kind of an artificial boost of attendance at uh, at least Universal Studios Florida. Uh, because of what uh, the those two hundred uh, Halloween Horror Night mazes, uh, Revenge of the Tooth Fairy and Universal Monsters: uh, The Bride of Frankenstein Lives, and you got to assume those are going to close, you know, the first week of November or thereabouts. Yeah, I don't uh, see them doing the you know uh, uh, Walking Dead thing where it's open for all year round Mm -hmm. uh, because it's not just the maze itself you're looking at high uh, labor costs so if if people are going in like I would love to see those year round but that's Mm -hmm. because I love the quality that goes into uh, a Halloween haunted house or you know Halloween Horror Nights 29.5 as we're Mm -hmm. calling this but Mm -hmm. yeah it makes 
it makes me wonder what's going to happen. Well, it's interesting you, you say that because I don't know if you saw um, Universal Lando has just launched kind of a smaller stripped down version of their VIP tour and it, it's mm-hmm. targeting annual pass holders. Um, my buddy Jeremiah Good, uh, he writes for uh, laughingplace.com. Uh, he just uh, took this tour and uh, did a write-up of it. And uh, basically, it's it's a, a, a foreshortened version of the VIP tour uh, that, that they do at the parks. The, this one, however, is is branded the VIP Thrill Tour. Um, $59 a person plus tax. Uh, it's offered twice a day, uh, mm-hmm. starting at 9.30 and 2.30 p.m., uh, and it, it gets you backstage at Mummy, which is, I have to say, spectacular. I've, I've you know, I've been lucky enough to do a couple of behind-the-scenes tours with uh, Universal. And, and again, mm-hmm. to get in the old confrontation building and to see how Mummy, it, you know, I mean, how much of Kong is still in there. And, you know, some of the amazing technology they use to do Mummy. Uh, mm-hmm. They take you well. They take you upstairs at Jimmy Fallon to that that wonderful lounge space. Uh-huh. That, uh, you know, you and I uh, when we did the uh, Starbuck Destination event last year. Yeah, uh, we were up there multiple times, and actually, we one of one of my favorite things. And you know, it, it's still something mm-hmm. that I I wish that everyone who listens to the show got mm-hmm. a chance to see. But it was you telling you were you were having a conversation with hashtag the panda. Well, get and out. it happened, and it was great. And to this day, it was that and watching Mannheim Steamroller, uh, you know, with hashtag. And I'm like, this is amazing. Everyone needs to come to a future event. And then 2020 happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, well, again, you you kind of understand, you know, hashtag and I, you know, we go way back. I mean, of course. You know, guys with entirely too much back hair and very pasty complexion. So, you know, <laughs> we have a lot in common. Um, anyway, uh, okay, so this VIP thrill tour, two and a half hours long. Mm-hmm. Uh, they throw in a souvenir lanyard and you get a, a snack of who hash. Uh, but the, the kicker, actually, I, and, uh, uh, you know, if, if you want a really spectacular picture, Mm-hmm. Of especially the uh, you know the the, the Velocicoaster. What they do as part of this is they they take you over to uh, Confisco Grill, which is just there in the port of call off to the right. Uh, but they take you upstairs. So there's this wonderful lounge space uh, that they've converted into an annual pass holder lounge, uh, the Navigator Club. Mm-hmm. And what's great is as part of this tour. They take you out of that building, and I don't know as you remember as you enter that park just before, um, you know, you, you come to the lagoon. There's a there's a bridge that goes over uh, the port of entry, and it really sort of, you know, it helps frame uh, the park. I mean, you have that wonderful reveal as you go past that point, and suddenly here's the entire lagoon in front of you, and there's the Jurassic. Uh, park Discovery Center and now with the coaster and, you know, off to the side to get the Harry Potter castle and, you know, the Hulk over there. And it just but the interesting thing is, you know, you can't really get that picture because there's trees in front of you. But what what they do as part of this tour is they take you out onto that bridge that provides the frame. And so 
for once you can actually shoot over the trees and get this absolutely amazing vista of islands of adventure so it's all about the the they <laughs> these guys are really going towards the local uh uh pass holder because that's exactly what we all want we want the yeah. best photo and if it's 60 yeah. bucks that's fine uh for those of uh, those of you who are who have done the vip tour experience prior it's the mm-hmm. full day uh experience starting at 189 per person gets you all the yeah. front of line behind the scenes but it also gives you the complimentary continental breakfast and lunch um so it looks like this is you know, kind of leaning towards the folks who have been to the parks before. They want that little extra something. They don't need a meal. They just want a snack and um, then go on with their day. Great value at 60 bucks compared to the, the full day. No, no, no. I totally agree. Uh, interesting thing, though, is they're, um, they're offering this in October. It, it's kind of a trial balloon. Uh, and the hope is if it gets a strong enough reaction, this will be something that will continue into November and December with the hope that, uh, as you just mentioned, you know, that, that you know, this is, uh, you know, aimed at uh, folks who already have annual pass, you know, to the, the two universal parks. And they're mm-hmm. trying to invent reasons for people, these people to come back to the park and face it until the holiday decorations get up. Uh, you know that 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 you know that that weird gulf between Halloween Horror Nights and you know when you know the universe holidays at, at Universal featuring Macy's gets underway. Um, mm-hmm. That's a tough time to convince annual pass holders to go to the park. Though so, uh, maybe someone will go back to check out um, this new window that you uh, clued me into. Do you do you want to talk about uh, the 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 window honoring Mr. Kern? Yeah, so um, as many folks know, the, the, the concept of putting the creators and contributors of theme parks uh, from Disney and Universal has been long standing. It's mm. incredible to think about all of the folks who have you know, helped these, uh, these experiences into what they are today. Mm. Um, we now have a brand new window. Um, of uh, a, a a guy who many of us may not know, mm-hmm. but definitely have seen his work, Blaine Kern, also known mm-hmm. as Mr. Mardi Gras. Yep, yeah. And uh, to give you a little background here, when Universal decided uh, 25 years ago that they were going to have their own uh, Mardi Gras parade in the park, they felt, well, I mean, let's do it upright. Let's reach out to the folks who actually do the real Mardi Gras in New Orleans and see how many of them might be willing to come join us up here in Orlando or excuse me, down here in Orlando uh, kind of to do this. And Mr. Kern at that point had been producing uh, parade floats for various crews for decades. And he was honestly thrilled uh, to get the invite and to, to, you know, to, to showcase his work uh, you know, to a, you know a new crowd, and uh, you know the interesting thing is each year, you know, the floats that he did for Universal got more and more elaborate, and you know, uh, you know that the, some genuinely spectacular work that mm-hmm. that he really enjoyed because again, it wasn't just the folks in New Orleans; it was people from around the world. And more to the point, you know, remember the, the Mardi Gras at Universal runs for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, so you know, it was a larger audience that got to see his work. And 
Uh, Blaine, you know, uh, enjoyed his relationship with the Universal right up to the end. We lost him in June of this year at the age of 93. And uh, the folks at Universal genuinely enjoyed working with Blaine. And this is why when we lost him, they decided we they have to do something to honor him. And what's, what's really kind of cool is that the way they chose to do this is there's a window on the second floor. I want to say it's, it's the horror... Um, makeup uh show uh and they deliberately chose the window in the second floor of that building because that's where uh all of the parade floats enter the park from you know and it's just the whole notion of the very first place that people see blaine's work that's where we want to put his window so um but i i have to admit now you know that that I mean, for years I've you know looked at the windows, and every so often I recognize the name. But now, um, now I got to go around it and and do a better job of checking out the second floor windows to see who else has been honored over the years. Uh, you know, in that you know, I, I guess especially along the Hollywood Boulevard area, there's yeah. a lot, lot of that stuff. So yeah, and there's it's all about the the you know idea that. A lot of folks who go to the theme parks don't really know how it got there. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, uh, Disney and Universal have always done really good by this. And mm-hmm. uh, the next time we're down there, I'm pretty sure we could probably do a, a tour, a full-fledged morning of just going from window to window. Okay. Well, all right. Uh, and we'll, we'll have to see how many peacock like logos we get. <laughs> um, speaking of peacock... Um, uh, let's see. The media consultant group Cantar uh, just it, it came back with news on a survey. They, of course, we've talked previously about Comcast, uh, Peacock, the uh, subscription streaming service that, that uh, NBC Universal recently launched. And according to the folks at Cantar, a third quarter of uh, 2020, uh, Peacock actually claimed the top spot. Uh, it had got 72 or, or excuse me, 17.2 percent of all new subscriptions. Now, mind you, right behind them at 16 percent was Amazon Prime. And then from there, HBO Max, Disney Plus uh, and Hulu. Uh, those are mm-hmm. the top five. Uh, now, of course, it, it's worth noting here that Peacock literally has just come out of the box uh, you know, so, it, you know, it, it makes sense that it would be the, uh, you know, a number one, though Disney's no slouch either. Uh, you know, I, did, did you see that stat where, uh, what was it? Disney's goal with its subscription streaming service was they wanted to have Disney Plus up to 100 million paid subscribers five years in. Mm-hmm. And by August of this year, uh, they were already at 60.5 million. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, but again, you know, that, that's, you know, it, it's come at a price, you know, between <laughs> Onward and, uh, you know, uh, Hamilton and, and now just the news about Seoul coming on Christmas Day. Um, but all right. Uh, other universal related news. Universal Beijing, uh, Tom Merleman, uh, the president manager of Universal Beijing, uh, spoke at the Blue Loop V Expo on October 14th uh, and had all sorts of news. They are uh, they're on track to begin trial operations uh, in the late winter, early spring. 
of next year uh, on site there in Beijing, uh, and it's still hope you know planning, not hoping, on making their uh, their opening date in May of two thousand twenty one. Mm-hmm. Uh, const- the construction of all the main buildings is complete. Uh, ride and show installation uh, is well underway. In fact, uh, kind of interesting, on October 13th, they uh, put out uh, an Instagram post that showed that the, uh, the iconic Universal Globe that they've built there on site is assembled and is spinning. So, oh, wow. Yep. A uh, couple of interesting things coming out of his presentation. Um, the minion land will, uh, that they're building there will feature more than a hundred minions. And it's now mind you, it's going to have a Gru's house, just like universal, uh, Hollywood does and universal studios, Florida. But in this case, it's a restaurant. Um, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You go in and they are offering coffee and cakes and it's like, I, I don't know about you folks, but going to a supervillain's house and having, <laughs> you know, any kind of, especially food that's supposed to be prepared by the minions, um, I, I would honestly, well, first of all, it's kind of a gimme that they would serve banana bread there, don't you think? Uh, oh, absolutely. Every Everything should have bananas in it. There you go. All right. So I, I, I'm going to be intrigued to see how that plays out. Uh, speaking of food, uh, Universal Beijing uh, is going to have the world's largest version of the Toothsome's Chocolate Emporium and Savory Feast Kitchen. Um, they're also going to have the very first uh, Reddit, uh, Red Oven Pizza Bakery and Cowfish Sushi Burger Bar outside of the United States. And um, I, I have to admit, a big fan of Cowfish. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how that gets embraced over there. Uh, yeah, I was kind of interested when they said the world's largest, but then it, it makes sense because mm-hmm. they are building this from scratch. Yep. All the other uh, toothsomes have gone into existing structures. That's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. In fact, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how exactly they do this. But anyway, uh, and let's be honest, one of the reasons they need the world's largest toothsome is uh, – they're projected to have more than 10 million visitors uh, you know, the, the first year uh, this place is open. Wow. And interestingly enough, uh, Miriam uh, was talking about, you know, people were asking him about COVID and did, does this concern, you know, it's a little scary to be launching a, a park and a resort, uh, you know, in this situation. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand that, uh, you know, that, that, because right now so many of the Chinese are reluctant to travel overseas because of what's going on in the States and that sort of thing, to have a brand new domestic, you know, uh, destination is like, oh, you know, you're, it, it's the right thing at the right time. And it, it, in fact, here's a quote. Marmon said, uh, the Chinese people are confident in their country, confident in the COVID-19 related controls their government has put in place, which is why this is a time of great opportunity and why we think the universal Studios Beijing Resort is well timed and well positioned to take advantage of that opportunity. Um, now, mind you, you know, Universal felt the same way in February thirty one when when you know Dracula went out in the theaters and became this monstrous hit. You know, uh, you know, and uh, really, I didn't mean to say monstrous hit, but I did. Um, <laughs> you know, but they wanted to, you know, 
they felt like they were well positioned to take advantage of that hit horror film and uh, Bella Lugosi's performance in it, but eh, things didn't work out quite as planned, which Dustin and I will get to in a moment. And we're back. Um, okay, uh, we're picking up from where we left off with the last episode of Universal Joint, and we're, you know we're talking about the film that supposedly kicked off uh, the Universal Classic Monsters franchise, which was 1931's Dracula. And uh, if you listen to the last show, you know that Carl Emily Jr. Uh, secured the film rights to Dracula in June of 1930, uh, and he was hoping to make this a vehicle to bring Lon Chaney back to the studio uh, in a multi-million dollar film where you know uh, Chaney was going to play not only Dracula, but Professor Van Helsing. Uh, but then uh, Lon Chaney dies of a throat hemorrhage in August 26th of that year. And, you know, so Chaney's literally out of the picture at this point. And Carl Jr.'s dream of Universal producing a billion-dollar epic version or sound version of Dracula, uh, which would then rival, you know, the, the, the studio's great silent horror films of the 20s, like Hunchback and Phantom, is now, you know, DOA. Um, but the interesting thing, uh, at this same time, literally in August of, of 1930, Dustin, a touring company of the stage play version of Dracula arrives in California. And given that Bela Lugosi is once again playing the title role in this production, the Lemley family, en masse, yeah, hops on a train, goes up to Oakland and catches a, a performance of what's subtitled The Vampire Play. And, you know, Carl Sr., the head of the studio, likes what he sees. Um, more to the point, Universal has already paid for the film rights to Bram Stoker's novel, but without a star like Lon Chaney to anchor the project, there's just no way the studio, especially, uh, you know, still reeling, um, you know, from the, the, the uh, you know, the stock market collapse in 29, um, mm -hmm. is going to do a million-dollar epic, you know, build it around a stage actor. So, you know, what, you know, Carl Cedar turns to Carl Jr. and says, look, I, you know, the only, I will give you a third of what we were going to spend with Lon Chaney. You can have, you know, $355,000, but that's it. Mm -hmm. uh, and the interesting thing is because now you have to shrink in the size of the project. Uh, you know, Carl Jr. turns around and, you know, he's got the novel. But he turns around and acquires the screen rights to the stage version because he figures, well, you know, you know, just, you know, it's 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 a smaller scale because it's version of the story because, of course, it's done on stage. And more to the point, if we're going to get Bella involved, he's already done that. You know, this is stuff he's familiar with. Um, you know, so all in all, it's, it's making all of these financial decisions. And, and, and the cheapness continues, Dustin, because they they know that Bella... You know, this is his most famous role, and so he'd, of course, love to get it on film. Um, mm -hmm. So they know they don't have to pay him top dollar, you know, because he's he's so desperate to do this. So they're like, all right, tell you what, you know, we'll, we'll pay you $500 a week. You know, and it's a seven-week-long shoot, so he gets $3,500 total for appearing in this classic <laughs> horror film. Now, to put that in perspective, Lon Chaney... When he was working at MGM, used to get paid thirty five hundred dollars a week. 
Oh. Yeah, that that's the difference between on stage and movies and the whole concept of when you're, you know, going and putting this type of effort out there to do a stage version a lot of folks who um, who are in the movie industry are like, oh, we could just show up, we'll film one of your performances, and we'll make all of our money. It'll be great. Mm. <laughs> well, but, but, <laughs> but the weird thing here is they were so determined with Dracula to be as cost-effective as possible, they actually shot three versions of the same movie. Mm-hmm. So... so you know, we have, you know, first the, the classic Dracula starring Bela Lugosi. But you got to remember that this is sound came in in, you know, 1927. But, you know, again, not every studio, you know, not every theater in America had changed over yet to sound. Mm-hmm. So it was a common practice to, you know, to shoot, you know, the scene as a talkie and then to do another take where, you know, just you had them act, you know, but with the understanding that they were going to have titles inserted. So there was a silent version done of Dracula as well. But Mm -hmm. here's the kicker, and this is the, honestly, one of the more fascinating parts of the story. Um, They would finish shooting um, Dracula every day at 6 o'clock, and everyone would walk off the set as a brand new crew came in to shoot the Spanish version of Dracula. Oh, wow. So, I, and the weird part of it is you can go on YouTube right now. In fact, I, I, I sat and watched about 40 minutes of this the other night. Uh, it's got, uh, you know, a, 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 a Carlos Valeras as Condos Dracula. Uh, and the weird part of this is this film disappeared for decades. You know, just that, you know, that, that, it was, um, you know, I mean, Dracula was a huge hit in English mm-hmm. and Spanish, went around the world. And for some reason, the prince just disappeared. And it was only in the 1970s that they found a print and then restored it. And it's just, it's fascinating to, if you could sort of toggle back and forth between the Bela Lugosi Dracula and the Spanish Dracula, because it's... It's different rhythms. I mean, it's the same sets, and you know, so in some cases, it's the same costumes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's a slightly different uh, movie. And in fact, there's a lot of folks who flat out say the Spanish version of Dracula is so much better than the um, you know the English version. So I'll, I'll leave it to you folks to go check it out. But anyway, again, um, they they ram this. You know, this starts shooting in September of 1930. Dracula is out in theaters uh, by February 14th, 1931. So that's five months. Yeah. All right. And it's a smash hit. I, again, it costs uh, $355,000 to make. It sells $4.2 million worth of tickets. And you got to remember, this is back when tickets at 35 cents a piece. Um, and as far as Universal Studios was concerned, they felt like they'd won the lottery. Because again, again, remember, you know, uh, you know, 1929 stock market falls, you know, and so as Universal going into 1930 loses $2.2 million. And so they're desperate for a hit. And the fact that Dracula shows up and, you know, just the, the New York engagement at the Roxy Theater, they, they sell 50,000 tickets. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, you know, it, it eventually the, this film all by itself generates a seven hundred thousand dollar profit for the studio, and it, it it turns around the entire year for Universal. So they're like, oh, well, we got to do another one of these. Um, you know, let, let's strike while the iron is hard. Let you know, and remember, you know, Carl Senior, we talked about in this last show. You know, didn't want to make horror movies, but as soon as Dracula made money, it's like, oh, we're we're in the horror business right now. So they immediately turn around, buy the screen rights to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and you know, and, and again, same playbook from Dracula that that they decide, you know, it's like, well, we got the novel, but make sure you get the stage version because that'll be easier to, to film. Um, but they want Bella to play the monster. And in fact, the weird thing is you, right now, if you Google Bella Lugosi and Frankenstein, you can see the teaser poster that Universal had produced and, you know, released to theaters, you know, with the notion of, you know, it's a coming attraction for the movie they haven't even made yet. But it's a, it says, you know, no man has ever seen his like and no woman has ever felt his white hot kiss. Let's see. Uh, surpasses in thrills even Dracula, the world's greatest hold of a picture in 1930 with Bella Lugosi, Dracula himself, as the as the leading spine chiller in a story that has thrilled the world for years. But it's this amazing poster of of Frankenstein and and the face sort of looks like Bella Lugosi, but also Frankenstein has laser beam shooting out of his eyes, so I'm, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure what's going on here. Um, but anyway, so, you know, they, they, they turn to Bella, and it's like, hey, we've lined up your next picture. And <laughs> Bella initially is not interested um, because, you know, he reads the book, and it's like, okay, well, great. The monster has all these great speeches as an actor. I want that. But the stage play, uh, all the Frankenstein's monster did was grunt. And, you know, it's like, and so Bella is quoted as saying, I was a star in my country. I won't be a scarecrow in this one. Um, but, but again, you know, a guy who, you know, took a role for only $3,500 and, and is trying to still make it to Hollywood isn't a really place to turn it down. So June 17th, um, 1931. They bring Lugosi in to do a screen test, and Jack Pierce, the guy who invented the classic horror, you know, uh, makeup that we know today for Frankenstein monster, you know, the the, you know, the flat top and the bolts and the electrodes on the side of the neck, he mm-hmm. hadn't necessarily come up with that look yet. Um, so they they throw a fright wig on Bella and slap some mud on him and and shoot him sort of lurching about as the monster and. They, so they bring it to Carl Lemley Sr., um, you know, to watch. And the, the story is that Lemley couldn't stop laughing. You know, it's just like, no, no, this isn't going to work. We need somebody else. And so they fire Lugosi. They fire the original director of the movie, uh, Robert Flory. And they bring in James Whale. And mm-hmm. they then, and this is the thing, things moved so quickly back then they hired Boris Karloff to play the role of the monster and but again it's it's still it's it's the Bella Lugosi playbook they offer him uh $500 a week and in mm-hmm. this case it's only a 30-day shoot not a seven-week-long shoot um and three months later it's out in theaters um 
and you know, uh, you know, November twenty first, nineteen thirty one. Uh, it's just eight months after Dracula debuted in theaters, and it's made for less money than Dracula. It's made for mm-hmm. for two hundred sixty seven thousand dollars, ninety thousand dollars less than Dracula. It ends up doing five hundred or excuse me, five point four million dollars worth of ticket sales. So this, it's one point two million more than Dracula in ticket sales. And to this day, I mean, I, I know on other shows, I, you know, uh, we've talked about the Disney vault and the pieces that are in there, you know, tests for films and that sort of thing. And Oh, are you are you talking about like things like, oh, what was what was my favorite one? Oh, Nicolas Cage as um, as Superman. And, you know, just things that people read for that they do a screen test and they're not the right fit. Yeah. But that footage still exists. Well, this is the thing that the the belief is that somewhere in the Universal Vaults, somewhere is the Lugosi test for for Frankenstein. And, And because the interesting thing is Lugosi does, in fact, play Frankenstein's monster uh, in in a movie uh, 12 years later, uh, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, which was released oh, in yeah. uh, March of 43. And the the weird part of it is is it's that movie that creates the the Frankenstein monster that we know today, the 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 stiff walk and the arms out in front of uh, you know the monster with his eyes closed cuz mm-hmm. uh, you know the in that <laughs> that particular iteration of the film um, the monster uh, had been left blind, and uh, you know. Also, uh, I, I guess the original cut of the film had Lugosi. I mean, again, the, the only reason he took the role was the monster was finally allowed to speak. Uh, but when they did test screenings of it, you know, the, and you know, people heard, "I am Frankenstein's monster." They just they laughed, and so they they wound yeah. up cutting out every piece of dialogue. That Lugosi did. Um, now, the weird part is, so he plays Frankenstein's monster, but he doesn't mm-hmm. play Dracula again in a Universal movie till 1948. Um, at the end of a series of interconnected horror movies that would predate the interconnected movies that make up the Marvel Cinematic Universe by almost 60 years. Um, and we will discuss that film in the next installment of the series, when Dustin and I turn out a new Universal Joint in two weeks or so. Uh, but until then, Dustin, what are you up to these days? Um, I'm. We're two weeks out from Halloween, mm-hmm. so basically, I'm. I'm in the uh, the business of getting really cheap Halloween candy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, usually, by this point, we would be down in Florida. We'd be doing a lot of. Uh, projects and such so the only thing that i have going on right now outside of steps to magic is uh the project that jill and i uh have started with the wi-fi adventures that's right um and we've been testing out possible podcasts and that kind of thing but at the end of the day we're just you know kind of doing what most people who are in the hospitality industry are doing which is figuring out what could possibly happen. So um, I'm spending a lot of time uh, learning new skills and talking to, to friends um, about what uh, what hospi- hospitality could look like in 2021 and uh, what everything could uh, 
could end out for all of us, but I, I have been listening to a lot of your other shows, and I have been so impressed at how not just positive everyone have been, uh, you know, kind of through this entire thing, but how the other shows like Marvelous and my like, um, you know, just all of them combined, they're a great escape. <laughs> From the real world, so I, I do appreciate that, and I thank you for for doing all of that with your other your other co-hosts. Well, and 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 that's very kind of you to say. But again, that that I'm I'm not you know the the only guy here. There's a lot of other people doing a lot of heavy lifting. I mean, we got Len Testa, who I work with on the Disney Dish. We've got Dan Z, who I do looking at Lucasfilm with. Uh, we have Aaron Adams, who I do the Marvelous Disney show with. Uh, you know, uh, Drew Taylor, who I do fine-tuning with, and uh, Shelley Valladolid. In fact, we're going to try to get a new I Want That out the door. And, and and if you thought the hospitality industry is is having, you know, problems, you should talk to the people who work in merch. You know, yeah. Have you asked her about what she wants from the... Uh, uh, all the Mario and Luigi stuff. I well, again, you know, it, 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 Alice is the straight pipe there. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know. You know that that, you know, and Alice, has, Alice has ways. You know, in fact, when they yeah. were doing the uh, Lupin, uh, you know, live street, you know, stage show uh, there in the park, uh, they actually did. Uh, those of you who know the Lupin television series, uh, the animated series. They have this teeny tiny little car that, that, the, mm -hmm. that the four main characters cram into and go off and have adventures. And I, what they did over there as part of the Lupin Fest is they, they made a popcorn container of this car. And mm -hmm. Alice, through her various machinations, managed to get somebody to go to the park to get her one and then ship it to her. So as a, a Lupin fan, she's very proud of her, her you know, I, I, but again, I forget what flavor popcorn because evidently she can still smell it. So, oh my, <laughs> you know, it's just I hope it wasn't seaweed. Uh, anyway, folks, uh, tell you what, if you could do Dustin and I a favor, if you could head over to iTunes and rate and recommend Universal Joint, that would be very helpful. Uh, if you really, really, really like what you heard today, if you could head to Bandcamp and subscribe, uh, that would be helpful. Um, Dustin, you know, what about social media? I know you, I, you know, I, I've seen you on Twitter and that sort of thing. Uh, where can folks find you in that space? Yeah, so I'm over at uh, Dustin Foose on uh, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I'm also at Steps to Magic. So, yeah, lots of lots of fun stuff. I, I just love, you know, seeing people when they're out and about mm -hmm. doing like going to Universal. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, if you aren't following BioReconstruct oh. over on Twitter, yeah. we have to give him our, you know, uh, every show we have to talk about BioReconstruct because he's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely follow him because uh, you want to see this uh, the story of the Osprey continue. <laughs> I, I I don't. I really don't want to see that <laughs> explosion of feathers. But okay. Uh, but oh oh, Nancy would also want me to remind you folks that social media wise, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Jim Hill Media, and on Facebook is as Jim Hill Media News. So um, okay, so that's going to do it for this week. Destiny will be back in two weeks, and here's hoping that nothing happens to the osprey between now and then. I, again, I really want that bird to go find someplace else to live. 
because um, I just I I don't want that to be the the story of the opening weekend of the Velocicoaster. You know, Raptor takes out Raptor. So yeah, there there's some rooms over at the Aventura. I'm pretty sure they can get. Ah, well, there we go. <laughs> All right, thanks again, folks. <laughs>